Hello, Kings fans, and welcome to Kings Talk, presented by Capsity Crown. This is Tony. With me, as always, we've got John. It's a sad day here in Sacramento, as the Kings have been bounced from the playoffs officially in their Game 7 loss against the Golden State Warriors at home. I mean, other than that, (laughs) I don't have a lot to say. I mean, I know it is a sad time right now, but at least there's a lot of hope going for the future. I, I, we said at the beginning of this year, the playoffs were the goal. And even going into the series, I always said that um, anything else was icing on the cake. And I mean, just forcing the Warriors to game seven, taking the first two. I mean, I, I think that's, I mean, that's just great in itself against the defending champs. And, you know, next year it was our first playoff appearance and, Next year, we're going to use that experience, and the team's only going to get better together. Um, there's a lot to look forward to. So although our season is officially over, and we have to wait until next October to see regular season Kings basketball again, you know, at least that hope stays alive, if that helps you <laughs> in your morning process. But, John, how you doing? How you feeling? I'm fine, but um, I was oh, really? really amazed. Yeah, I'm, I'm doing great, but... Um... <laughs> I was amazed that uh, Darren Fox said exactly what you said at the beginning of the series after he he and his team had lost Game 7, which was that playing the Warriors was both a blessing and a curse, was the phrase he used. And that, you know, I guess starting with the curse, starting out of order here, you know, you play a very tough team with championship DNA that knows what they're doing and uh, has a guy like Steph Curry who can just absolutely go off in the biggest, most critical moment, that being a game seven. Um, and then the blessing part of it, which is you get to learn from this and you get to learn from the best. And that was kind of your outlook from the beginning. You were kind of happy about playing the Warriors despite the daunting matchup, both overall and specific matchups, like how it didn't look good for Sabonis and stuff like that. And yet you maintained a pretty good attitude about it and sounds like the Kings have a pretty good attitude about it as they should. Yeah. Cause I went in um, to this and I'm like, you know what, if we're going to go in, into the playoffs, kind of just referencing what John was saying. I said this, I think when we found out we were playing the Warriors, I believe and it's like, especially as your first playoff appearance in 17 years and as a unit and everything, it's like, might as well go in and learn from it. Like go in and play a team that you can actually learn things from. I mean, there are so many things the Kings will have learned from this series. Hopefully offensive rebounding is one of them or eliminating them. Um, and, you know, it's a championship team. There's a lot of stuff you can learn from a championship team. So, yeah, I am happy with that. Um, I'm glad Fox can see it the same way. Yeah, but let's get into why they lost Game 7, shall we? Uh, yeah. Where, where do you want to start? Because <laughs> there's I wanna, several reasons. I want to start with, uh, I, I want to, I, I do want to start with, um, the, I don't know if it's the reason they lost. Cause it's not like if he'd have played more, they would have necessarily won, but it would have probably given them a chance to win and at least slow down Steph Curry. But the question on a lot of people's minds was why Davion Mitchell played a total of eight minutes in game seven, he only played, I think two minutes and 45 seconds in the second half. So that was kind of a big, 
big deal considering the fact that Steph Curry scored 50 points, was having his way with the Kings, and especially in the second half. And uh, <laughs> he torched him. He torched him and the best defensive weapon who, quite frankly, played to such a good degree earlier in the series that we started talking about whether or not Steph Curry could sustain a certain workload that he needed to uh, put out in order to win this series or even go much further beyond it. And that guy that was responsible for making Steph Curry work, for bringing up questions of fatigue, not only with us, but in the Bay Area media, was Davion Mitchell. And he didn't play. And like in game six, he didn't play very much. I think he only played about 12, 13 minutes. And Terrence Davis got out there, used up all six fouls, was a dog, went out there and just was trying to disrupt, added a little bit more range, you know, did okay. And like at the end of game six, it was almost like, well, now Davion had extra rest. So like now he's really ready to go to go in and try to slow down Curry even better. He's got a little more rest than even Curry does. And he plays less minutes. And he's sitting, he goes out there probably, I think the only time he went out there in the second half was for his little like three-minute stretch that he'll go in there for uh, in the third quarter. And then he never came out again. It's bizarre. It's super bizarre because that just seemed like a no-brainer. Again, it's not necessarily that you would have won, but you put yourself in a position to slow down the re- like the ultimate point of attack, if there ever was one. And that just never happened. And then to make it weirder, not a single member of the media asked Mike Brown about it after the game. Brendan Nunes kind of was like, is there anything you could have done differently to guard Steph Curry? Almost putting it in Mike Brown's hands. But I felt like somebody should have been like, hey, coach, why did Davion Mitchell, for all the reasons I just listed, why did that guy only play eight minutes while Steph Curry was going off for 50 points? And I, I don't think you have an answer. I don't have an answer. It's weird. It's the weirdest thing. And I think it's probably why this needs to be brought up first because, I don't know, that's just kind of sticks with me. I don't think that's going to be easy to forget. That's just such a, it seems like such a brazen blunder, you know? Uh, yeah, it's, I, I mean, I, I still can't wrap my head, my head around it. It just doesn't make any sense. Like I get it. Like Davis, Davis was, he was doing decent. You know, I don't think he was guarding step tremendously, but I mean, he was hitting down, he was knocking down threes in the first half. Kings had the lead at the first half, but it's like, Man, when it really started to get away from him, it's like, okay, like let's go to Mitchell. But he just never came in, and Steph just, you know, he dropped the most points ever in a game seven. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and Mitchell's nowhere to be found. He was doing so well, too, though. Like, I thought he was one. He was like a top three player in the, the series for us, I think, or at least the first six games. He Fox, was, Monks, Monk, and Mitchell, I think so. I think you're definitely yeah. right. Mitch, the best two-way guy. I mean, he was playing tremendous defense on Steph. I I thought so. He was, and I think he was scoring the ball pretty decently too. Like we hadn't really seen him throughout the regular season. I thought he was attacking well. His three wasn't great. I mean, no one's was. I thought it was pretty average for Davion. I mean, he did knock some down, which is, you know, more than enough, I think, out of him. Um, And yeah, just like your best defender who had been guarding Steph very well throughout the series so far, gets eight minutes while Steph scores a record high in a game seven. <laughs> it just it just doesn't make any sense at all. Like, is, is Mike Brown dumb, or was he trying to throw the game? I mean, it's <laughs> like tinfoil hat at this point, but I'm just like, 
you trying to help out your old team there, Mike? And what? And why isn't anyone asking? I just, oh my goodness, it just doesn't make any sense. There's a part of me that's like, okay, people aren't asking because because they're like, in on it. I don't. Know. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I mean, I, uh, I that would be why. a huge scandal. But uh, you know, I think one of the things that's interesting is a lot of the members of media they recognize that like getting this far, taking it to a game seven, like. Like you said, that's icing on the cake, basically. So maybe there's not a huge inclination to press, considering the fact that this team has not done anything for a decade and a half. And Mike Brown has done something incredible by just completely turning the the bus around. Like Maybe they just didn't feel the need to press him on it. But even then, that's a sorry excuse. That's just... Yeah, for journalists. Yeah, it's not being journalists at all. I mean, there's... I don't know. Uh, we don't need to get into whether or not some of these guys are actual journalists or not, but you know, they, the, <laughs> the fan comes out a lot of them and it did in this series. I don't know if you followed Twitter at all, but yeah, we won't need to name names, but it's just like, get off Twitter. You're a journalist. You're an adult. I don't know why you're getting into arguments with 17 year olds. Yeah. But fair enough. <laughs> it's just, it's ridiculous. And like, I get it. Like, I don't think Davion Mitchell shot very well in game five, which was kind of why I thought like, okay, we'll go with a little bit of Davis but it's like even Davis in game seven, like he hit, I think he went like three of five or three of six to start the game. And then he didn't hit a three until like the final seconds when the game was long lost at that point. And his mm-hmm. defense wasn't even good in game seven. Like to end the no. first quarter, Curry scored like eight points off him. And then he was doing the same thing to start the second quarter. And it, it just, there, it just makes no sense. It's a huge letdown and you're, we're not going to get enlightened on it. It seems like, which is a real disappointment. Um, exit interviews are going on right now as we speak. They're not being broadcast online or anything, so I can't watch them off to see them later. But I doubt anybody's asking him then. And hopefully they are, but it just makes no sense. Like I said, even if they play Davion Mitchell, they they still probably lose this game. Like I, I that that doesn't escape me. But it's just like you don't you don't do that. Don't put your best defensive weapon out there for just eight minutes for and. Curry wasn't even out there for all eight minutes. When Davion first came into the game, Curry left the floor. They'd been doing that a little bit, I think, after, like, game two or three. And so, like, his eight minutes weren't even all out there with Curry. And after the game, Mike Brown was like, yeah, you know, like, I'll be rooting for the Warriors from here on out. And, like, that makes sense. And, of course, like, if he had played Davion Mitchell 28 minutes, you look at that you don't bat an eye at it. But then it's like, but you didn't play them. You played them eight minutes and you're saying you want them, want them to win. Like you're just making a bunch of people like speculate now, not to say that like any um, kind of theories are true or not, but it's just like, this is not good for optics. I feel like it just feels like you're, you're driving a lot of fans crazy. It seems it's just all you're left to do is scratch your head. And it just seemed kind of like a, a mistake, like a pretty fat mistake shooting yourself in the foot by not playing Davion Mitchell. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it, I mean, it, I don't know if it was the biggest mistake of the game, but it was definitely the one that was just the most head-scratching of... It's just like, why why wasn't he out there? It just it just didn't make sense. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I hope something comes out on it. Or maybe... I, I don't think he was hurt. I don't know. No. It's just... It's odd. It's just super odd. Mike Brown obviously had a great season. He was coach of the year, first ever to be unanimously voted as such. Terrific season for him. I don't take anything away from it. But 
it's like that. And then the fact that like when they finally went small in game six, it worked. And he was talking about it. And this is not far off from his typical way of kind of attributing credit to different people. But also, it's just weird because he's like, yeah, you know, Robbie Lemons, who's the analytics guy on the coaching staff, and Luke Lux, who's a, a one of the main assistants, was, I guess, quote unquote, beating Mike Brown over the head about how they need to play smaller and all that stuff. And then Brown finally relented for game six. It won them the game. And Chris Biederman, after the game, uh, after the win in, in, in uh, San Francisco, asked Mike Brown, like, why were you reluctant? to go small and like Mike Brown didn't really answer the question. So it's like, I'm not saying that like, Oh, we need to keep an eye on Mike Brown. We might need a coaching change soon. Like, of course that's not the the idea here, but it's interesting after you kind of get over the Cinderella season, different things come up and things are going to get interesting. And there's going to be things to keep an eye on about Mike Brown. Um, Cause it's just, the decision not to play Mitchell, the reluctancy to go small, and then having your assistants have to do it. I don't know. It's just something to keep in mind at the end of the day. Of course, Mike Brown's still a great coach. I think he was a great hire by Monty McNair. But there are things to keep in mind now going forward, you know. <laughs> kind of keep a little little list of uh, things that kind of rub you the wrong way. And I feel like these are kind of the first major ones for Mike Brown's tenure with Sacramento. Yeah, just weird. Yeah, I mean, there are just it just seems like bad coaching in the playoffs. <laughs> it's kind of like the last thing you want to see, really. But those are just two kind of big mistakes, in my opinion. Like you don't took you that long to figure out how to go. You you had to be like coerced into going small against the Warriors. I mean, shouldn't that just be a given <laughs> to a point? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, but that's a nice transition into talking about DeMontis Sabonis in this series, which it was not pretty for the soon-to-be All-NBA center. Now, to start, we came into this series knowing that matching up with a small team like the Warriors was not going to be easy for Golden State, that they were going to find a way to disrupt him and screw with him. They did it in a way different I mean, like just looking at the Looney-Sabonis matchup, that kind of went a little way differently than I anticipated. Looney dominated for stretches, both on the glass and as a defender. And I mean, even beyond that, it's just Sabonis had kind of a kind of a rough series. I mean, he had he was the leading scorer in game seven. And as I noted in the recap, I'm like, that's not I mean, that's saying a lot, not in a good way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it really is. And then that concept of going small, maybe this is cutting a break to Mike Brown, but it's also not because it's just like you have to be a leader at this point and make decisions. And, you know, it kind of helped the King's cause that Sabonis was getting beat up in game six, got like elbow to the eye. He was in foul trouble. So they they kind of had, quote unquote, an excuse to keep their first or second best, you know, part of their cohort of foundational stars on the bench. But it was almost like they were—they didn't have an excuse not to play Sabonis. I don't know. Did they play him too much? I don't want to go too far and like say that Sabonis should have never played in Game Seven or something like that. But should there have been a better mix-up of trying to go small or knowing when to go away from Sabonis? They kind of relied on Sabonis a little too much. After, I mean, I get you don't want to change up the game plan too much, but it's like 
Yeah, I mean, after the, I mean, he had a good second game, but really after that, other than that second game, he was he was just kind of getting hounded from Looney and Draymond. He just he couldn't do much, and he had like a he had a good a good first half in Game Seven, but I mean that yeah, he just did not have a very good second half, and they just kept trying to rely on him and stuff. And I mean, even in Game Six, I would I was. I texted you. I'm like, I'm happy this dude's in foul trouble. Like, I'm glad he fouled out. Like, I'd rather just be small. That team was killing it. Like, with Trey Lyles at the center, that was, mm-hmm. I think, our best lineup of the whole series. And so it just, I was kind of expecting a lot more of that in Game 7, and it just didn't seem like it ever came. Um, so, I mean, it's hard to stray away from Sabonis, the guy who kind of got you there as that third seed. But, I mean... It seemed like there were better options out there, unfortunately. Playoffs are all about matchups. so And we knew this was not a fair matchup. Now, if the Kings would have advanced and gone to go play the Lakers, I have no doubt that Sabonis would have slid right back into normal Sabonis mode against a bigger Lakers team in a situation where he could kind of do what he typically does. I mean, the Warriors are a unique adversary to, to face. There, There's really nobody like them. Sabonis said nobody plays like them. Nobody's built like them. They're, they're tough. And I don't know. It just seemed like, a mis- again, another kind of mistake. You could probably throw this on the mistake pile. That it's just like matchups are everything. And it's just like Sabonis against 29 other teams, or I guess 28 other teams, is totally fine. And you stick with the typical thing. But it's like this, you go a little, you might want to go different. And like you said, like, yeah, you don't want to go away from the game plan. Having Sabonis in there kept them from going to the game plan. The game plan was to play fast, to keep going faster, to play as fast as possible. And Sabonis was not facilitating that as well. Whereas when you had Lyles as the small five, uh, you spread out the floor, you spaced it out. There's more room to run, more room to get downhill. It was just all working, just as you would think it would. And it's not even like they were paying attention to what happened in game six in relation to Sabonis being on and off the floor. And it wasn't like Sabonis was terrible in game six to his credit. Probably his best moment in the series was the way he started game six. He set the tone for what ended up being the best. I mean, between games one and two and game six, take your pick for what the best win of the series was for the Kings, but to go into the chase center and win, that was crazy. And it started with Sabonis's first quarter. Um, I think they scored eight or 10 points unanswered and Sabonis scored the majority of them or was involved and was playing great defense, Mm -hmm. which is another thing you could probably give Sabonis credit for, but we've been giving Sabonis credit for his defense all season because it gets overlooked all the time. He was pretty good at different points defensively in this series, but just overall, it just seemed like they got away from what's important in the playoffs and playing matchups. And like I said, Sabonis against the Lakers, I would be confident that he would be fine, that he'd be going back to flirting with triple doubles again but they didn't really put themselves in a position to get there. So that's just a shame. Yeah, it was a shame. And there was clearly, I mean, it factored into the Kings getting bounced in seven. You make a couple of adjustments. I mean, even just like that small ball talk, they started doing that from the get-go. I mean, can they can they win that series? I, I don't know. I mean, it's obviously a lot easier looking back and picking Monday morning. Yeah, you know, Monday yeah, morning. Yeah, I mean. Quarterback. Hindsight's twenty twenty, right? Um, did, I, did I say that right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I was trying to come up with like another like idiom or phrase so that we could go back and forth. 
Yeah. Um, Monday morning quarterbacking in hindsight is 2020 is all I've got at this point. <laughs> but, uh, oh, man, uh, the, the small ball lineup, that just, and yeah, I just feel like they should have gone to that a lot more. Another note, mm-hmm. another note I would make about the small ball lineup, I mean, because as we point to, physicality is a big thing. Offensive rebounding <laughs> stems from that pretty majorly, and that was a huge factor in every game for the most part. And obviously the offensive rebounding of Kevon Looney and Wiggins and others in quarter number three of game seven was the backbreaker. And one of the things that's interesting is uh, they do the Kings do a better job of gang rebounding when Sabonis isn't out there? Do they rely on Sabonis too much as you know, the, the leading rebounder in the league. I don't know. I mean, like if you, if you asked, I mean, they asked Sabonis about, I think the rebounding after the loss. And he was like, yeah, you know, it was like a lot of threes are being shy. A lot of long rebounds. Looney kind of just knew where to be. He's used to having a lot of three pointers taken. And I was thinking, I sit there and listening to him say that. And I'm like, yeah, but your team shoots the, like the fifth most threes in the league. Like you're not used to long rebounds. <laughs> like seemed kind of like a sad excuse. Yeah. But, right. But I think that was him covering for the fact that it's like his teammates had been saying all series, you know, like we need to help help Domas out. Like you cannot put Sabonis in a one-on-one situation with Kevon Looney. Yet he was in a one-on-one position trying to box out Kevon Looney the whole game. And no, he couldn't do it. But that was not a secret at all during the series. So I almost feel like maybe like because I the the gang rebounding was kind of like was a bit of a letdown. You could hear Jeff Van Gundy and Mark Jackson kind of say, oh, they were kind of bickering about whose fault it was with the offensive rebounds. And I think Van Gundy was saying like, eh, not a guys aren't coming down from the perimeter, which I thought was true. It almost felt like by having Sabonis out there that maybe, um, and this tendency has not, is not like totally lost on this team. It's happened throughout. I mean, it, hence why they lost so many home games. There's kind of a tendency of this team. And I think it comes with the inexperience to kind of expect certain things to happen. And um, maybe that kind of played into it. I don't know. Man, we talk a little bit about that offense rebounding <laughs> a little more. I mean, that thing just plagued us the whole series. I mean, and it would kind of seem like it went back and forth in the games. Like some games we did really well on the offensive glass. And some games Looney was just seemed like they were just all went straight to him. Even that like game seven. I'm like, how like how are they get, getting this rebound? It just seems like it's. <laughs> Going like right into his hands on some of those long rebounds. There was even a play, and it wasn't Looney's offensive rebound, but like Andrew, it was it was that third quarter. Andrew Wiggins went for a dunk, and it just like went straight up in the air into Steph's hands. I'm like, yeah. was, like that was where they had like they had like three or four on one possession. Yes, that was ridiculous, and you could hear the crowd too. Just go, oh my god, they're in agony. Oh. It was just, it was tough. That was those offensive rebounds. And I mean, in that third quarter, it, it, they had like 13 alone, mm-hmm. I think. And mm-hmm. Looney had like 10 of them. Jeez. Yeah. I mean, that's what, I mean, in the end, lost us a series. Yeah. If you want to say that. I mean, the offensive rebound, it could have been so much better. And the Warriors are just giving us, they were getting these offensive rebounds, but then just missing every free throw that they were given to that same quarter. Yeah. And we still were down by 10. Um, the offensive rebounding, it, but it was so funny because that small ball lineup. I, I mean, obviously, I don't know. I don't think Looney was out there against the Kings during that small ball lineup, but they were not giving up 
many offensive rebounds. I think they were getting offensive rebounds. Um, yeah, I'm, and that's what I'm saying about the mindset of like playing small. You kind of yeah. all pick up your own responsibility about getting down, getting a body on somebody, crashing the glass. I just felt like that kind of psychologically had to play into things. Like almost keeping Sabonis off the floor helped your rebounding in a sense that the other, well, now the five guys out there uh, amped up their in their intent to go grab that board. I don't know. That's just a thought. No, it is a good thought because you're not just so much relying on Sabonis. It's like, all right, now we all got to crash. I don't know. It was just, it was just pathetic to watch, <laughs> that, especially that third quarter, especially with your season on the line. You're gonna let them grab 13, and it's something on your home teasing. floor. On your home floor. <laughs> And uh, I mean, that's something they're going to have to learn from um, going forward. I mean, it was just completely unacceptable. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, they had the lead at the half and then you're down 10 going into the fourth and then nothing got any better. Um, they went to round 15 with the champ and then got knocked out. Yeah. Just got <laughs> they went to the final round and boom. It was terrible. I just had nightmares about it the other night. Kevon Looney just keep grabbing rebounds. Kevon Sab- and then Sabonis just not even trying to go up for it at times. It's like, dude, so, like, I he's just trying to box him out, but it's like, at least you your back to him. And yeah, so he can grab it. like face to face, just trying to like, probably like has a little hand on his jersey and it's like not doing anything. Yeah. No, Looney is a man. Looney's a man. I like Looney, but I have nothing against him. He wasn't even tearing us up. He was just had good position. He was just, I mean, respect it. It was just, I, I'm not mad at him. It wasn't like, he was playing good D. Or he was in great, re, he was playing good D and in great rebounding. I don't know. Yeah. Just, I mean, it's just. That's it's the just, guy who's going to beat us, though, really. Yeah, it's disappointing. The Kings will definitely have to work on it. Because you talk about the things you can control. That that is a little something you can control. You can't necessarily control Curry. I mean, you fifty points is kind of extreme, but you know Curry's going to hit his shots. You could just make it difficult on him. You can control what happens on the glass. You don't let somebody get thirteen, a team get thirteen offensive rebounds in a quarter, just to totally hack away at you, just cut you down at the knees. I mean, like the Kings after that quarter were like the Black Knight and Monty Python and the Holy Grail. You know, <laughs> all the limbs are gone. Hey, come back here. <laughs> yeah. Are we going to fight like men? Come on. It's like, nah, dude. <laughs> yeah. But, man, that's just, that's rough. But we kind of hinted at it there. I mean, another thing that's interesting is, you know, the Kings left a lot of wins on the table at home and they ended their season by losing two games on, uh, on their home floor. I hope that they've learned that you got to take care of business at home. I hope that upset urgency a bit more because you had home court advantage and you earned game seven on your home floor. And it's like valiant effort. I don't take anything away from these guys. This is obviously like De'Aaron Fox said, a building block towards something greater, but it's like, you did have game seven at home. and You lost <laughs> at home, dude. Yeah. And that was the, the one loudest reason. fans in the NBA. Everybody's saying it. Everybody's talking about how dominant this home court advantage is. All right. And, and for what? Yeah, to get absolutely just <laughs> blown out. I, I, yeah. I, I mean, that was the one optimistic, like the one reason I had optimism that the Kings can win the game, you know, win this series was that they had home court. That was, you know, and to give myself credit, I'm like, they're winning this game. This series is going seven games. I don't care who I remember going into game five. I'm like, I don't care who wins 
um, game five. Like, this is a series going seven. If the Kings win at home in game five, Warriors probably win at home. If the Warriors steal one like they did, I had a feeling the Kings were going to go out and steal one right back. Game seven was always kind of up in the air for me. and it's, But it's like, you're at home. <laughs> Loudest fans. And it's like, I, I, they have to do they have to do much better protecting home court. I mean, they weren't really good at it all year. Um, and boom, it shows. <laughs> I mean, you almost wish they were in Golden State after that loss. Like, come on. <laughs> it's ridiculous. It's awful. Yeah. Yeah, and it kind of plays into that other thing that we were talking about that and it probably comes from an experience being youthful, but it's like sometimes you get the sense that the foot gets taken off the gas pedal, whether it's having Sabonis in the game thinking he's going to rebound or being at your on your home floor with the, the crowd cheering and kind of uplifting you, kind of expecting those things to take you over the hump. And uh, hopefully the, this was a lesson in that as, as well as other things that, you know, it's on you at the at the end of the day. So, I don't know. The home court thing is so interesting because as good as they played the season, it's like there's so much left to be desired on the home floor. I mean, they lost so many close games at home. And, like, losing for the offensive rebounding just made me think of, like, the loss to the Suns in November when offensive rebounding just totally yeah. killed them. I don't yeah. know. Like, yeah, I remember that game. Different games. I mean, like the Kings did a pretty decent job, not to like venture too far back to the rebounding. They did a decent job like rebounding and preventing teams from doing that. I mean, I think for a good stretch of the season, they had a pretty high defensive rebounding rate and limiting offensive rebounds to their opponents. But there would always be those games where teams would just come out and wreck them. Mm-hmm. And I, maybe that plays into that, like expecting things to happen or, you know, kind of letting your foot off the gas. But that notion itself is really embodied well with how they play at home sometimes. So that'll be something to look forward to next season, I guess, to see (laughs) if they can improve their win total at home, which I think should be a major goal. Because it's going to be hard to improve your, it's going to be pretty hard to improve your win total on the road. That was pretty freaking good. Like, damn. Yeah. Um, I mean, they had the best, uh, second best road record in the league, I believe, and first in the first in the West. Mm-hmm. And you're very happy with that, but yeah, the, the home, it's just no excuse. It, it, you should always be playing better at home. You have the fans behind you. It's, it's going to be a major, yeah, one of the bigger things that they're going to have to work on. You said it. I did. Take I advantage. It. That's right. We ca- I guess. We, we're not really done with Sabonis, I guess. Um, we talked about Sabonis and, and Looney, but some more stuff developed on the Sabonis and Draymond Green front. Um, I think, as many people know, Draymond Green had very kind words for De'Aaron Fox. And I have to say, personally, watching De'Aaron Fox and Draymond Green kind of like, not necessarily bicker, but they were like make, pleading their cases demonstratively, but with respect in the way that they would kind of engage with one another between plays it really warmed my belly because it's just like, man, these two guys just want it. Like you could feel it. There's like a mutual respect there. And Draymond Green kind of articulated that after the game. He's like, quote, I've been in a lot of playoff series against a lot of different guys. And if I'm honest, you leave most with less respect for a lot of guys, whether it's how they act in the moment, 
how they step up in the you know to the pressure. I've lost a lot of respect for guys over the years in the playoffs. And then there are some that you gain respect for. There are some that you see and you know they're cut from the same cloth you feel like you're from. And Fox is one of those one of those guys, end quote. And he said that. And I was like, wow, that's like that's cool. And like I wouldn't have expected anything less. But then also I was kind of like, wait, lose respect for guys. I'm like, hmm, he's probably talking about like people like Dylan Brooks and stuff like that. And maybe is he talking about Domas at all? <laughs> well, lo and behold, Draymond Green, as only Draymond Green can do, recorded a podcast episode sometime in between this morning and the win last yesterday afternoon, evening, <laughs> and um, said that he didn't like the fact that Domas Sabonis didn't shake his hand. Now, of course, as everybody saw, there was a lot of love between the two teams after the game, which was cool to see. It was awesome. Um, to see it's such a hard-fought, fun series to watch and see the guys kind of come together and appreciate that and see it the way we all saw it. But I guess Sabonis didn't shake Draymond's hand. And he said, yeah, lost a lot of respect for Sabonis. Uh, You don't shake hands after you lose. I don't respect that. And he talked about how he left the court when they lost Game 7 of the 2016 Finals. And he said that he went to the locker room and said that this doesn't feel right, walked back on the court and showed everybody some love. He said... You lost, deal with it, pay your respect. That was whack to me. That's whack. He said it again. I wouldn't even necessarily say lost respect, but I don't respect that, and that's whack. Now, you know, <laughs> I think it's a little silly that Draymond had to take to his podcast about it. But, um, man, <laughs> I think they take Draymond out of the equation, though, Um And maybe I can kind of relate, not relate, but understand where Sabonis is coming from. I mean, Sabonis got beat up this series. And not necessarily like he got owned or anything like that. I mean, he got beat. He got an elbow to the eye. He got stepped on. Uh, I don't think that was ever going to hurt him. But, uh, you know, and he was battling the whole time and doing his best and all that stuff. There's a respect for Sabonis. I mean, I think throughout the whole series, he kept fighting. But, I mean, you can see Fox is relishing all this opportunity. Um, is there something to be said about what Draymond said? I mean, again, trying to take Draymond out of the equation because Draymond is a little bit of a pest to some people. So that can kind of make people maybe more defensive about Domas, but I, I don't know. I mean, I get it. Like who was it? I think when the, when the bulls finally in Jordan finally beat the Pistons, the Pistons just kind of like walked off the court after that series with them. And, the Bulls were like, oh, like really, <laughs> you know, like we've lost you a couple times now, and you're just gonna, we beat you, and you just pissed now. So I, I, I get it in the sense of sportsmanship, but I, I, I mean, I, I think it's always the right move to like be the bigger man. But I mean, I, I don't, I can see where, you know, Sabonis is coming from. He, he had a rough series, got beat up a lot. Draymond stepped on him. He stomped, stomped on him. Um, I don't know. I, I can see both ways. I wish he would just sh- shook the hand, but at the end of the day, I don't. Who cares? Like, <laughs> I know that's <laughs> screw Draymond. I, I don't. I don't care about Draymond after this series. I respect Draymond, but I don't know. I, I think I, I did lose respect for Draymond this series personally. Um, so I'm like, I don't really care what Draymond says to be honest. Like, sure, like he could have been a bigger man and shook your hand, but I don't know. Sabonis kind of got the short end of the stick all series. He probably just want to get out of there and, you know, 
probably not see the guy who stomped on him. <laughs> it's hard to blame Sabonis. First of all, it's like it's not like Sabonis went to the locker room. I think he was probably showing respect to other guys. I think it was just like a, personally didn't go up to Draymond or shake Draymond's hand. Because I don't think Sabonis like stormed off the court or anything, so I don't want to give off that impression. But I don't know. I almost just feel like this is just Draymond just trying to kind of get in people's heads. It's a constant thing with him, you know? Yeah, it and really is. I think the way Draymond sees it is it's like, I'm just doing what I do out there. And, you know, Sabonis, he was doing what he did, and I felt like he felt like he got treated differently. Um, mm-hmm. And maybe he did, maybe he didn't. And that's maybe talking about the refs more than anything. But I don't know. It's weird. I don't really know. I, I agree with you. I don't care about this either. Draymond's going to do what Draymond does. Sabonis is going to continue doing what Sabonis is going to do. It really doesn't matter. And it shouldn't take away from the sign of respect that seemed like 99.99% of the other participants on both team had for each other. So, I don't know. It's more of a distraction than anything. And probably shouldn't even be something that we focus on much longer than this. But it was interesting. I thought it was funny because I was thinking after Draymond said that about Fox, I'm like, ooh, boy, is he about to say something about Sabonis? And he didn't. <laughs> he saved it for his podcast. Of course he did. Which but, I'm just like, whatever, man. <laughs> I know. When, when does this guy have time to record? I don't know. He's a dad. Like, you're a, like, you're a father of, like, children. And you're, I don't know. Maybe he has a twin know. brother that just does all the Does podcasts. he? Yeah, it's just got Draymond and Traymond. You're lying. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, of course. <laughs> I'm like, I've never. Well, then you said Traymond. I'm like, all right, he's a liar. <laughs> but then I'm like, wait, does he have a twin brother? That'd be crazy. You made me question it for real. Dude, what's up, Traymond? Traymond? Trey and Dre? Trey and Dre, baby. So I think a question I have, and I think I know the answer to this. So I'm just going to – if we're taking Fox out of the equation, we're just looking at the Kings for for this uh, playoff series. Who is the – I guess it would be behind Fox. Who's the second most valuable player in this series? I think we can both agree that was Malik Monk, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, if Mitchell played <laughs> game seven, I, I honestly might have said Mitchell. I I was impressed with him all the time. Malik Monk had some really big games, which is hard to overlook. But he also had a couple of games where maybe it game, was one game. It game was, yeah, three, was, slow, and then game five at the end, he was the one that kind of warranted that. You got to stop dribbling into guys from Mike Brown, that comment. Yeah. So it wasn't perfect, but. No, but it was Malik. I mean, he had that huge game one. Um, game two, I think he had like a solid game. He didn't score 32 mm-hmm. off the bench but i think he scored like 18 and then he had a even that game uh what was it game five i think like except when fox his finger really started bothering him and the kings lost this game anyway but he really took over at the end to really try to give the kings a win he, in game six as well he scored what 24 i think mm-hmm. he was great in game six yeah he, yeah he he this is exactly what you needed from him he was but, great we talked about earlier this season when he was really kind of making that first surge and push for like six man of the year recognition. And we were like, wait, is Malik Monk the third best player on this team? And I couldn't help asking that again. Cause it's like, 
when you get into the playoffs, things are heightened. You kind of start to see things in a different light and you see who steps up when those lights come on. And a lot of guys stepped up, you know, like you were saying, Davion Mitchell stepped up. Trey Lyles looked like he belonged there. You could go down the list. There were a bunch of different Keegan Murray really came into his own. But it's like the way Malik Monk, I mean, like when the Kings won their three games, Malik Monk was a huge part of all of them, you know? And I just couldn't help asking, like, is Malik Monk the third best player on this team? I mean, I don't know. Maybe. Maybe if he wasn't so streaky. Um, and, and you know what? Maybe that's why the Kings lost the series. Because you know who should be their third best player? Should be Harrison Barnes. Um, that's right. That's right. And, I mean, he was terrible. And you, and you even maybe want Herter being your third best player. I don't know. He was at the beginning of the year. Kind of fell off quick after that. But, I mean, you probably want your five starters. to. I mean, I get it. The six man's its unique role. Uh, and Keegan had a good year. But, I mean, you kind of want Barnes or Herter to be your third best player behind Fox and Sabonis. Just in general, you know. I know not it was Fox and Malik in the playoffs. And, you know, that's why they probably lost. Because, I mean, that's another huge problem. I don't know to mean change the subject, but Barnes and Herter were absolutely terrible. Um, and those are the guys with the more, like, actual playoff experience. Yeah, Barnes hadn't been in <laughs> seven years, it felt like, which actually might be true. But, man, him and Herter are the guys who had been there and done that before, and Herter was... I think the last game seven he ever played in, he was like, he scored like 28 points. And oh man, those guys killed us. Um, frustrating, really. It, it brings up questions for Barnes, I think, personally. Like, do you try to sign and trade him at this point? I mean, of course you try to keep him, but, and this is more of an off-season question, but it, it, it honestly already got me like thinking, like you can't, you can't have Barnes performing like that. I get it, it was right. one series, but it was seven games. And he had, I think, one, maybe two good games. But when it really mattered, he was he was not there. Mm-hmm. I think, like, outside of a few dunks in the series, including, like, the first score, I think, of... Was it the first score of game six? I think it was dunk. the first score of game six and of, like, game two, honestly. Yeah, yeah. And that was, like, it, you know? I think there were a few times in, was it game five, where he kind of did that, like, let me get to the line and set us on the right track kind of thing. I think he had that, yeah. those kind of moments. I think that was game but, five, yeah. But, like, never to a degree where it's like, okay, there's the veteran presence. Now, of course, I don't want to take away from anything he was saying in the locker room to support guys. I'm sure that is invaluable, but it's like, you're getting paid how much? You're the starting <laughs> – you're supposed to be the third best player, like we were saying. Yeah. So, and, you know – I agree, like not to get too far into the offseason, but it makes you think. It raises it casts doubt for the first time. The argument that you and I had been kind of lingering on was it's like you have to think about keeping Barnes because he is that veteran presence. He's actually very important to this team throughout the regular season. And also probably more important than anything else, who else are you gonna get <laughs> to come start on the wing for you? Yeah. It's very limited. But it's like now you see that. Well, now you kind of start thinking, eh, maybe we have to get a little creative there because you're talking about a team that really wants to stay together as far as we're concerned. I mean, again, exit interviews are going on as we speak and 
just from James Ham's Twitter, uh, what do you call that? A Twitter, twi- his tweets? It's <laughs> like a yeah. dashboard or like his home, whatever. I don't know what the term is. Um, it sounds like a lot of these guys, Lyles, Monk, all these guys, they, they want to keep this group together and all that stuff. So it's like if you're talking about an upgrade, maybe the backup five, but maybe the starting small forward. I don't know. You don't want to like start thinking about that too much because you don't want to take Barnes for granted, especially given the fact that there's not a lot of readily available options to replace him. But he put himself in a position to where people are thinking about that. So Herder not so much because it's like Herder's still young and he's got a bright future and you'd like to think that that this kind of series won't happen again. Um, although it was really bad. Yeah, but it was. That was like really bad. Cause it's just like, Ugh. and it's like you said after game, uh, was it game six or it's just, or game four, whenever Murray broke out and it was just like, you're going to let the rookie do it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you're going to let the rookie power through the aggressive DHO defense that the Warriors were doing. You're going to let him, uh, be the bigger aggressor to counter counteract that. Yeah, exactly. And Murray and Murray turned. I love Murray, and it's like awesome, and I'm happy for him. And if it's like Barnes and Herder, like that, that didn't motivate you after seeing Murray turn things around so quick as his first playoff in his first ever season. Oh, ah, yeah. man, brutal, yeah. brutal, brutal, brutal. Well, I mean, it's, uh, you said it too, and I was thinking about this earlier. Kind of going, this kind of relates to Barnes, and it's not Barnes's fault, but that game four, like he makes that shot, we win the series. And I think you said going into that game, it's like, yeah, it kind of feels like this is the game. Whoever wins this game wins the series, and you said it because I, I agree. If the Kings go up three one, I mean, it, it'd be hard not to imagine that they win that series with two games remaining at home. Um, but no, the Warriors won it, and the Kings had a chance to win it. But uh, and it, man, just so many little things looking back at, and like what yeah. could have been so close, so such a thin margin at the end of the day at the seven game series. You really, it would be impossible to ignore the down performances throughout the seven games from who are two of who are supposed to be your like four best players, you know. Yeah, exactly. It's rough. It's it was really rough. So yeah, maybe Monk is the third best <laughs> player, but that's not what you needed. No, not at all. But you you know, take your hats off. I think I did say going into this, I'm like I yeah, I could see Monk living up to the moment. It just seems like a guy who would excel in the playoffs. And it was awesome to see. It's crazy. <laughs> playoffs are funny. I mean, the the game one was what, two Saturdays ago? And like yeah, how much hope what? I had when they won. I was like, dang, we just won one. We just won game one. And now look at us. Now I just talking about <laughs> all this. <laughs> what went wrong? Um, yeah. Yeah. It's like how we started this. It's like the blessing and the curse of playing the Warriors. Yeah. At least you got this out, this lesson out of the way, you know? Yeah, it's true. It's like. It's like taking your chemistry class and you, you know, I got my, I got a C. At least I got that out of the way, <laughs> you know? Yeah, exactly. I got to take that class again. <laughs> but, oh my goodness. But kind of like, you know, two guys that were a bit of letdowns. I mean, 
we've kind of already talked about Davion a little bit, but to center on Keegan Murray, um, we were saying it at the beginning of the series that he's going to come around in this series. It's going to take three games, maybe two, three games, and he's going to figure it out. And that exact that happened. <laughs> and uh, then we were talking about how big that would be for his second year jump. And I think up there with Davion, but even more so for Keegan Murray, because he's going from year one to year two, which is such a stark difference. Because you've been there, you've done it before, you've gone through the whole process of being an NBA player for a year. Go ahead and get ready for year two. How pumped are you for a year two jump for Keegan Murray? I'm pretty excited. I mean, first rookie ever to score 200 points, 200 points, 200 threes. He <laughs> made 200 threes. First one ever, 200 points. Um, he had such a good rookie season. Um, it's kind of like how I was excited to see Halliburton's second year. Um, and hats off to McNair for just being a great drafter because he is. Uh, I was excited for Tyrese and look at Tyrese. He's an all-star. Murray, I think he can be the same. He just, I mean, he looks like a rookie out there at times, but he also just, it was nice to see him overcome that. The, those first two games or three. Yeah. First two, right. Three game three is a good game. I think, I mean, I think game three, he hit that three, like in garbage time. Okay. You're like, right. It was game four then. Yeah. And it was, yeah, it was like yeah, game that, three sucked. You're right. That three in garbage four. time is like, Oh, he saw it go down. Like, is that going to help him? And it's like, yeah, of course it is. And it did <laughs> totally. Yeah. Did. It was great. Yeah. You're right. He's going to be a good player in this league. He's going to be a key component to this team going down the line. Um, maybe there's going to drop. I kind of want to see him like drop plays. I always hear that like he was really good in the post in Iowa. So I'm like just so interested to see him because he's never in the post. I get it. Like there aren't really plays drawn up for him and he's meant to be a catch and shoot guy, but he kind of showed off that he can create shots. He kind of went to that floater. I feel like in game yeah. seven, he was, he was actually doing pretty well in game seven. Um, and it's like, I want to see him create his own shot now. Because, I mean, he obviously can't be a star unless he's, you know, the next Clay Thompson. But even Clay could score on his own by just being a catch-and-shoot guy, right? And you know there's more to Keegan Murray than just sitting in the corner and shooting, although he's really good at that. And I'm yeah. just interested. I'm, I'm ready to see this kid's growth. And it's nice to have a good rookie and be a playoff team, right? So it's usually one or the other. This guy, we're mm -hmm. a good rookie. We'll be good. In, he'll, he'll bring us to the promised land. But it's like everyone's like, we need that big three. Well, it's like maybe wait a year or two, and we might have that with Keegan Murray for real. Like Keegan Murray yeah. might be a force. Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt that the the front office is like, we're not in any rush to go out and pick up a third star. I mean, like we might have one right here, and it, it kind of seems like they do because you're talking about Murray developing off the dribble and creating his own shot, maybe creating his own shot through off-ball movement, stuff like that. We've seen – how great he got not great but how much improvement he put in really in the second half of the season and into the playoffs he kept doing it but one of the things that i'm really looking forward to because you just see how long he is and it's just like there were moments where he got put on curry and he got beat but there were moments where he got put on curry and he put up a good shot contest where he was on clay thompson got up a good shot contest same thing with wiggins there were moments where you could really see defensive promise and that's really one of the things that's like, and you hear Mike Brown would say it all season long. It's like, this guy could be a two-way player. He could definitely be a two-way player. He's got all the physical skills. He's got all the abilities. 
just needs to tie it together. And so I think in that year two jump, not only being that confident player that can do more than just catch and shoot, but it's like, take that step up on the defensive end. Really like put yourself in a position. And he did it with the rebounding ever since Mike Brown called him out, where just like he started putting himself in a position to be on the floor, whether or not he was the hottest three-point shooter on the team or not. And you add defense to that, I mean, just the the dynamic nature of his game is just going to increase vastly. And I'm excited to see what he can do in the defensive department next season. I don't expect him to be a shutdown defender or like a guy on an all-defensive team or anything like that. That's you know more for other guys. But uh, taking those jumps would be pretty big because you saw it throughout the season. And um, it would be interesting to see what happens after a summer full of work. Yeah. Do you think, kind of going back to the Harrison Barnes thing that I was talking about, I don't think it's next year, but do you think you he maybe moves down to the small forward position eventually? Or do you think you just keep him out the, as a stretch? Well, I think the interesting thing about Mike Brown is, you know, he said it early in the season that like the two through the four are the same position. And you could see that because it's like, you know, Oftentimes, it was Harrison Barnes guarding the other team's small forward. I mean, power forward, rather. You know? Like, Harrison yeah, Barnes guard, guarding LeBron or Pascal Siakam. And it's just like, in a lot of ways, Keegan Murray is a three. Just like Harrison Barnes is a four. I mean, they're both... And Keegan Murray is also a four, and Harrison Barnes is a three. They're kind of interchangeable. So, like, if you could just get the same makeup of player, you know? Mm-hmm. But, I don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I mean, it's not like Harrison Barnes is a burner. <laughs> Taking, blowing people up off the dribble. Um, yeah. You know? So, yeah. No, no, no. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because honestly speaking, it's like, I feel like maybe not so much Herder being the same position as those two, but it's like Barnes and Murray are very interchangeable. And it would seem like they'd like to have Murray more on the perimeter as a defender than Barnes. I don't know, though. Yeah, because, I mean, he's a little quicker, right? I mean, you say it. I mean, I feel like defensively, defensive-wise, I mean, it, it did kind of feel like Harrison was more of the power forward. Like, I don't I don't know what constitutes a small forward or, like, what position you play, especially, like, between Keegan and Harrison, where it's like they kind of do the same thing on offense, um, you know, in this day and age where everyone's kind of just around the perimeter shooting. But it's like... Well, if Harrison's guarding the power forward, doesn't that make him the power forward? Or is it like what you are like in the starting lineup? So yeah, we're gonna call him a four, so he's a four. Isn't I don't know. It's sometimes yeah, kind of I, weird to me. I think that's what it is, and I just think that that's kind of the conundrum of the history of, you know, five positions in basketball to kind of the current moment where there's more like three positions in basketball. You know? Yeah. You have the mm-hmm. you have the you have the one, you have the two through four and then you have the five you know it kind yeah, of feels exactly. like that and i and in the way that the kings play the way mike brown wants them to play coming out of the warriors which revolutionized the game it makes sense that they would kind of go with that i guess for lack of a better way of putting it modern look so it's interesting i don't know also just by putting barnes as the the three it's just like he's been a three his whole career it was, i don't know it's kind of frivolous <laughs> <That is> true. <laughs> they're kind of interchangeable so it's like I guess in that sense, looking forward to the offseason, if they were going to look to replace Barnes, I guess maybe does that open the window for who you're looking for? I mean, I don't really think it does because I think they still look at everybody as kind of the same. 
position. Mm-hmm. I mean, you kind of have to. Yeah. I don't know, though. It'd be oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah. But uh, that's one thing that Keegan Murray is, though, is he's versatile and he's he's an intriguing product going forward. And I don't have any doubt that, much like Halliburton, like you said, that this guy's going to one day be an all-star uh, in the next three or four years, hopefully sooner than that. But, yeah. I don't know. And then yeah. you just have to be proud of that guy because it's just like it'd be so easy for a rookie to just – be like, yeah, I'm a rookie. I'm not supposed to be. I'm supposed to suck. <laughs> it's just like kind of like give in to the struggle. And it's just like he overcame it. And we are not surprised by that, obviously. But it's just like to actually see it done. It's like this guy. And he was just also just about his rebounding. He was such a great rebounder in this game. He had a double-double, what, in yeah, game six? He did. He was awesome. He was awesome. He, he really was awesome. I love Keegan. He, he's he's going to take a huge step. In his second season. Yeah, you know he is. Maybe he'll be our third best player next year. I mean, like I said, I mean, it seems pretty undeniable at this point that McNair at least envisions it being that way at one point soon. So next year would be great. <laughs> yeah, I know. It would be great. It's a bonus is contract year. Don't mind. Ship him off to the Shanghai Sharks. <laughs> Bring Mad Jammer. <laughs> just just swap them how old's jimmer now uh probably 35 don't say uh like you didn't know no I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, no i really should so, i mean he came in i think we drafted him in 2010 and he was probably 22 right because he was like yeah, a senior out of byu and it's yeah. 13 years later he could still be in the league totally man a guy like that I saw Jimmer. I saw Jimmer play against this when he was on the Suns, and he was like, he was on the Suns for like a ten game or a ten day contract, and he was playing the Kings. And I'm like, I have to go. I saw him. I had my Shanghai Sharks for those of you who don't know. I'm a big Jimmer fan. Um, Wait, do you have a Shanghai Sharks like Jimmer jersey? Yes, I do. Um, A jersey or like a jersey T-shirt? No, it's like a it's a jersey. Wow, how did you get that? Did you get that from like? ShanghaiSharks.com? I don't know. My buddy got it for me. If that makes That's nice, it makes me any better. <laughs> you know, I, I didn't actually buy it. Um, so, yeah, everybody's kind of like, oh, all right, I, I didn't lose that much respect for Tony. And and I was like, man, where I don't know how, but I, like I got down to like the tunnel. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like Jimmer, sign my sign my tea, and he just like looked at me. He's like, gave me a thumbs up. I was like, oh, I was like, fuck you, dude. Like, like, I don't think shame. I've heard this story. Wow, that must have demoralized you. I'm just like, dude, it's a Shanghai Sharks, your jersey. You won MVP here last year. I, I mean, I have a Jimmer Kings jersey. I I don't know. I feel like the Shanghai Sharks Jimmer jersey would be kind of cool. Or like a BYU. Yeah. The Kings one would be like, all right, cool. Actually, now that we're talking, I have a I have a Jimmer. I have a Jimmer signed, like, I'm just going to say Jimmer talk now. And it's just like right in front of me. My dad gave it to me. He was like cleaning out my room. He's like, I found this Jimmer autograph. Oh, yeah. Thanks. So oh, just, you went to, didn't you go to meet him somewhere? Like like a meet and greet? Like, Yeah, I met thing? him at like the Eldorado Hills Town Center. And I got a, like a, his signature on a ball. And I, I have that like on my like mantle, of course. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yeah. Um, but then I think, I think they were giving out people like, 
pieces of paper. They were like fancy paper <laughs> with like a border. And it's like said Sacramento Kings. It was like an autograph paper, essentially. And I think my dad got it signed. He's just like, you, you can have it. <laughs> it's like either you take it or the trash guy is. So, but it's just like in my room right now. I don't, I don't know what to do with it. Oh, is it man, too I'm much just... if I have two Jimmer autographs from the same day hanging up on my on my wall? Not when that stuff's gonna freaking go up in freaking value over the decades. Exactly. You know? I, and I mean... especially especially if like the, I don't know what the Chinese league's called, but if like that gains more recognition, that's gonna be historical, man. I that's very true. I mean, he was an MVP, the CBL, I believe, is what it's called. Um, that's like so MVP. That's like the equivalent of name any great NBA player ever. That's one like MVP. Nikola like Jokic, Wilt. LeBron James, yeah. Kobe Bryant, Michael Jordan. I, I, I went to Wilt, like the biggest. <laughs> that was the opposite of Jimmer for that. Uh, physically. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. In greatness terms. I mean, Jimmer might have the edge. Honestly, given his college career, yeah. If you put it all together, it's probably great. No, jo- no joke, though. I mean, Jimmer Fredette was one of the best college players ever. Oh, he has to be, right? Which he is crazy. That's what like, got me into him. Like, yeah. he got everyone into him. He was best scorer. Like, yeah, I think he had one of the best scoring seasons ever. Yeah, he was crazy. Hey, he was fun to watch. I mean, I, I only watched him for, like, March Madness of his senior year. I mean, who, so, wa- who watches anything before Mark Madness? <laughs> like alumni of the people that went to that school? People yeah, People that live true. in like Iowa? Because they yeah. have an NBA team. Or, or uh, Indiana. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and then we drafted him. I'm like, dude. And, and it would, you know what's funny too is that now that we're talking about Jimmer, I guess it comes full circle. Um because I wouldn't even talk about this. I, I wouldn't even brought this up. But now that I think about it, like, I grew up a Kings fan, like everyone does in Sacramento. Um, and my, my dad was a big Kings fan, and it was hard not to be. I mean, the Kings were, they were good. And my dad's he's he's from SoCal, so he grew up a Lakers fan, Showtime guy. and But he moved to Sac, and you're going to be like, yeah, dad's a bandwagon. But it's like, he, he wasn't like, he doesn't really care about basketball, defending him. And he was like, he was, he likes it, but he wasn't like, he was like, a, he's a big baseball guy. So basketball was like, yeah, kind of like the hometown team. So he moved to SAC and he, you know, became a Kings fan. And the Kings got good. And I remember going to the games and everything, but man, then the Kings just got, they were, I mean, they were terrible after that 06 playoff run, um, the last playoff run until this year. Um, I mean, they were terrible forever, but they were especially bad. I remember like those late 2000s teams. I, I could barely tell you half of the people on those teams. Like, I have no idea. And so like it was hard. I mean, I feel like a lot of Kings fans can say this, especially, especially like I was eight at that time. You know, like I didn't, I didn't care um, about a losing basketball team like that. Um, and then I went to high school and the Kings got Jimmer. I was just it like rejuvenated my fandom and I've been like the biggest fan ever since. And I mean, started this podcast, started this blog cause I'm a big fan of everything. And I guess at the end of the day, you can, you can thank Jimmer or, <laughs> or Jeff Petrie for drafting him. I suppose that's my story. And look Jimmer at it now. Dead. Now the Kings are in the playoffs. 
All because of Jimmer Fredette. All because of Jimmer Fredette. I looked it up. Jimmer Fredette had the seventh highest scoring season ever in 2010-2011 as a senior. Scored 1,068 points. Who's number one? Pete? Pistol Pete? Yeah, Pete Maravich. He had three of the top four scoring seasons. <laughs> yeah, he's crazy. <laughs> it was crazy. And a guy named Frank Selvey's number two. Bo Kimball. Bo Kimball. Out of Loyola Marymount. Yeah, you never heard of the Goro, the guru of Go? No, I don't know. <laughs> Paul, uh, Paul Westhead, the guy who coached the Showtime Lakers, mm-hmm. um, went to Loyola Marymount. And he got these two guys. I'm just like totally going off track. But he got Bo Kimball and this uh, uh, Hank Gathers. And because they, they went to USC, but the coach was just like, yeah, I don't really care about these guys. They transferred to Loyola Marymount. <laughs> and Paul Westhead's like, he was just like a very fast coach. Like he just like shoot it within five seconds, kind of like this seven, seven, or seven seconds or less like game plan or whatever that D'Antoni did. So it was just like very quick. And they were Bo Kimball and Hank Gathers were really good. Hank Gathers was like, he was like the star player, led the league in points and rebounds, I believe, or the the college. And he was going to be like drafted high and stuff, but he had a bad heart and he died. On the, he died on the court. Oh. In Man. the middle of a game. And him and Bo Kimball were like best friends. So that's why. So yeah, that's Hank. Because Hank Gathers is just a little... He's four spots below Jimmer. The year before Bo Kimball had the fourth high or the fifth highest scoring season ever, Hank Gathers looked like he had the 11th ever highest with over a thousand. But that's crazy. Yeah. I would have just never thought that about Loyola. Like, I just saw Loyola Marymount. I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah, I know. It's kind of LMU? I'm like, what? Isn't that where we're like privileged ass douchebags go? Yeah, right. That's, that's what I thought. But what are you going to do? Yep, that's, uh, you have anything <laughs> to get it back on the Kings? Jimmer for dead. I don't know if we need to go any further than that. I think that kind of covers it. I think it. so, too. <laughs> you I know, I guess, what, I guess what, this is a long-winded way of saying if the Kings had just kept Jimmer for dead and had him for this series, he'd have been the secret weapon. I mean, him and Steph are both 35 years old. They yeah. Are. Who who's to say Jimmer wouldn't have had he wouldn't have taken down the Warriors dynasty if he had just been given a larger role instead of Isaiah Thomas? He could have four championships. Yeah, him. Just... It would have been the Splash Brothers, Jimmer and uh, Francisco Garcia. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, oh, that'd have been something else. I know him and Tyreek, him and Marcus Thornton, the Bayou Bomber, <laughs> little buckets. Whenever I think about the kind of dreaded years, I don't know. I always think of uh, Samuel D'Alembert, even though he wasn't in Sacramento very long. I don't know. I always I know. think of Samuel D'Alembert. Yeah, Samuel D'Alembert. I barely remember him being there, but everyone seems to remember it except me. I feel like I think I. I I think he was on the team when I went to a couple of Kings games in like a short period of time. I'm like, this, this guy's great. Yeah. <laughs> Got a little bit of a mid-range shot. I know, wow. everyone. It's like the Scalabissier before Scalabissier. Yeah, he's going to be hella good. 
I mean, there's so many. In, you go through the King's history over the last decade or so, and it's just like you take your pick, and a lot of guys fit that mold. I, gee, I was, I was like, I was set on that Scal was going to be like our next big player. I thought he was going to be so good. Maybe I, I don't know. But it's like this guy can rebound. He can play defense. He can actually shoot pretty well. It was not to love. And then he just like sucked his sophomore year. No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, that happened. That just makes me think of. It makes me think of when we talked to the 40 wins guys in the summer. And uh, Sean said that John, the tall fellow with the blonde hair, um, who wasn't able to join, he said that, yeah, he's a huge fan. Like after the, he got a, he got a scowl jersey. He had it custom made where it just said scowl on the back. Yeah, <laughs> he did say so that. Funny. That was the funniest shit ever. <laughs> like, <Yeah>. Okay. <laughs> we get a custom made one. <laughs> like, it's a scowl. <laughs> it's a lot busier. It's a scowl. <laughs> That'd be cool if you had one that just said number seven is Jimmer. It just says Jimmer on the back. <laughs> oh my goodness. You should get one. Hey man, your birthday's coming up. Wow, well, it's kind of. coming up. I know. I remember just I just staying on the Jimmer subject. I remember <laughs> I like I had like a phone back in like 2016. Jimmer hadn't been on like the team for like two years or three years at that point. <laughs> like I was like looking at phone cases and I found like a Jimmer for that one. I was, I held on to that phone for like five years as long as I could because I'm like. I'll never find this phone case again. Like it's, I'm, I'm not going to find one for any other iPhone. I remember, I remember, I'm like, I, I have to get an upgrade. It was like the saddest day. I had my like little, I don't even remember what iPhone it was. iPhone 4S or something. Had the thing forever. Man, I remember that phone case. Yeah, it was awesome. I don't even have a phone case now in solidarity after giving that one up. I just I couldn't <laughs> replace it. And it's like, man. Not after that one. But what iPhone yeah. do you have? <sighs> I don't know. <laughs> the newest one, twelve. Like I think the second the newest one or something. Thirteen. That's... I don't know. I don't even know anymore. Ooh. They don't in make iPhone. Jimmer cases in that size, I guess. Let me look. I don't even know. I guess I mean look. I just it was just like <laughs> him on the Kings. I'm like, this is awesome. Jimmer for dead phone case. <laughs> I could just see like a like a phone case company or something that has like a warehouse full of phone cases. They're like, okay, we need to upgrade some of these designs to the new ones. Like, which ones do we need to upgrade? Which ones do we not? Maybe this Jimmer one we shouldn't upgrade. And someone's like, whoa, someone bought this, and I just feel like they would want it again. I think we should upgrade it. You know, make it a size thirteen or whatever. There are just some for- ones I can get, but it's like BYU ones. But they they're like they look for Mike. Oh, the one of him on the Shanghai Sharks. <laughs> You're like perked up. You're like, ooh, okay, ooh. I they exist, but the other one was like the one I owned. It was, it was like his. It was like a jersey. It was like seven yeah. for that. It was awesome. Seven. Was it purple or white? I can't remember. I believe it was purple. Nice purple Kings jersey. Purple Kings jersey. Yeah, sad day. But for all of you who are still listening, um. I don't know. I don't even know what to say. Usually I, reca- I end it with like, well, the Kings got a game tomorrow. They got a game tonight. But no, I, I, I guess the next big thing is the draft, I suppose. <laughs> so um, but here we are. The offseason. I really, I really wanted the Kings to win 
the only reason I wanted him to win, not because I love the team. Uh, I just like, man, I just want basketball in May for once. <laughs> you know, it never happened. So, yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> it was April 30th. We were one day off, but it was nice to have it. Even just seven more games of the season was nice. But no, we got that long off season ahead. Draft summer league, and then eventually we'll be back. So I don't know. I don't have anything else to say. And great season. Happy to you know, like they say, it's cliche. Don't cry because it's over. Be happy that it happened. John. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> Can't believe you said that. Um, yeah, but I think you're in a way you're right. Nothing to hang your head over. But stay tuned here. We'll have po- uh, I was gonna say post postseason, <laughs> post postseason coverage, uh, off season coverage. So yeah, it's that time of year. But um, that's about it. I guess All one right. question I have is yes, who's gonna win the Western Conference Finals in your opinion? Suns, really? Yeah. No, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, gotta, I, I don't know. Nothing I kind of got a thing. I, got, <laughs> I, I I don't know what it is. I got a thing for the Nuggets. I'm kind of just hoping the Nuggets win because it's just like I, mean, I feel like hoping. everybody's just like everyone's hoping. <laughs> but I'm like actually kind of rooting for them because it's just like everybody says that it's just like yeah no I don't believe the Nuggets they were the first seed all year long like yeah fuck them they're not good it's like eh I don't know I'd like to see them. Kind of overcome that. Let's see if they can. I mean, I there's a difference between I would like to see and who I think actually will. Okay, that's fair. Um, who I actually think will. Um, I don't know. I still feel like I. I still feel like the Nuggets can beat the Suns in the series, and I feel like either I don't think the Lakers are going to go to the finals, and I don't think that's I, I. I don't know if the, the Warriors have enough in the tank. We'll see. I've said that before. I don't know. I don't know if the Warriors have enough in the tank either. But I'm by process of elimination, mm-hmm. I almost feel like Denver can do it. So I, I kind of want them to, and I almost do think they will. But we'll see. I don't know. I'm going to probably eat my words on that one. The Suns will win the next four. Yeah. Suns and four. Suns and five now, though, right? Yeah. But, yeah, it'll be interesting. We'll probably talk about that next podcast. <laughs> well. Whatever we're gonna, wherever we're gonna find to talk about, I suppose. We'll have stuff to talk about for the next couple weeks, but there will that come a true. point where it's gonna dry up a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> especially considering the fact that the there's really not a lot to talk about with the draft. But yeah, having the twenty, we'll see. Pick. We'll, we'll see. see. We'll see. But it was you know pleasure covering season with you. Um, I guess signing off here. That's right. Until next time, everyone, I want to thank you for tuning in. Have a good one.